Uh, we're going to get eventually to Matthew 17, but uh, I want to talk to you this morning about the fervency of prayer. Boy, there's been a lot of fervency in America in these past few months about politics. You'd have thought Republican or Democrat that whoever we elected was going to be the savior of the world. People passionate about politics, millions of people walking the street protesting. We could have used about 100,000 of them down here helping to clear out trees. They'd have, they'd have done a better job, been a better use of their time. People snorting and vehement and angry and passionate. Then you got the Super Bowl. People passionate about their team or not. Uh, they canceled a pep rally yesterday in Houston because there weren't enough Falcon fans to justify it. The Falcon fans are outnumbered 10 to 1 in Houston. They might be outnumbered 10 to 1 in Atlanta. I don't know, but uh, there's a lot of fervency. You, you, you buy the T-shirt, you get the coffee cup. I want to ask a question. Why is it that nobody ever accuses the church of being fervent? Why is it the world can be fervent about things that won't matter five seconds after we're dead, but nobody ever accuses a church about fervency and especially about prayer, being fervent in prayer. I mean, the running joke among pastors is you want to kill a meeting, call a prayer meeting, and nobody will come. Well, we, you know, we don't do that. We, we don't pray out loud. Where's the fervency? And what if we got our hearts in tune with the heart of God and we were as fervent about what God wants to do in the realm of prayer as we are about other areas of our life. Would it make a difference? I believe if God's flame was in our heart, it would ignite us, it would radiate with us that which is not seen by and large in the American church today. There is a need for fervency one preacher said, prayer without fervency is speaking without praying. Prayer without fervency is speaking without praying. We are a nation that has an opinion about everything, but not a nation of people with callous knees from being before the Lord in prayer. In the book of Isaiah, you see these words, Isaiah 64, verse 7. There is no one, now, no one, it didn't say there aren't many. Isaiah writes, there is no one who calls on your name who arouses himself to take hold of you. There was a great need in the nation of Israel. There was a great need for God to move and work. But the prophet writes, when I look around, there's nobody calling out your name. That word arouse means to awaken or to ignite or to stir yourself up to passionate pursuit of God. Could we say that there is a passionate pursuit of God in our lives today, in our church today, that we are passionately pursuing, that we are arousing ourselves? Typically what we do is hit the snooze alarm. 
I, I learned this lesson a long time ago from Jack Taylor. You will never win the battle of the blankets underneath the blankets. You have to get your feet on the floor. You won't get out of bed and do what you need to do if you stay in the bed. Who will arouse themselves? When the Bible talks about this arousing of ourselves, there are several terms that come to mind, particularly in the Old Testament. All of them are calls to fervent prayer. The prophets talk about calling on the Lord. We are to call on the Lord. That's a call with an expectation to answer, that God never sends us to voicemail. And his voicemail box is never full. We are to call on him and he will answer us. The, the psalmist cried out to God. Psalm 88, verse 1, O Lord, the God of my salvation, I have cried out by day and in the night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. The psalmist also talked about pouring out. Not only to cry out, but to pour out. Psalm 62 and verse 8. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Now, I want you to write down this next quote because you ought to write it down in your Bible where you don't forget it. Ian Bounds said, Heaven is too busy to listen to half-hearted prayers. Trip Lee at the SIN conference this past week said, the antidote for apathy is urgency. Heaven's too busy to listen to half-hearted prayers. And the antidote for apathy is urgency. So what are the barriers to fervent praying? When God created the heavens and earth, when God made man, and when God made woman, he said it was good. Now, when it's good to God, it's good, Right? I mean, if God says it's good, it's good. But then we made it bad. Adam and Eve ate us out of house and home, and we've been living with the results of it ever since. I want you to look at the three things that they did that took it from good to bad. First of all, they doubted God's word. They didn't believe what God said. God says, call. God says, pour out. God says, cry out. They doubted God's word. They denied God's power. And they distrusted God's heart. They doubted his word. They denied his power. And they distrusted his heart. They believed the lie of the enemy who said, God doesn't have your best interest in mind. I do. And anytime we listen to the enemy, we listen to a liar whether it is about our life, our singing, our giving, our living, our choices, whatever it is, when we listen to him, we distrust the heart of God that he doesn't have good in mind for us. God wants good with us. More happened in the fall than we can imagine. Now remember, before the fall, Adam and Eve had unbroken fellowship with God. I mean, there was intimacy with God. God would walk in the garden with them. Now that fellowship has been broken. Now rather than focus on God, there's a focus on self. And we're always caught up with what's in it for me and, and what are you going to do for me and what's this about is related to me. But there is this unbroken fellowship that has now been broken and we are no longer an extension of constant worship with God 
We have to be prompted to worship God. The desire for God was gone and they were ashamed. Now here's what's happened to us as a result of the fall. We are no longer fervent for God. We have to be pursued by God and reminded to be fervent. So we're not fervent for the loss. We think about them occasionally. We're not fervent for the backslidden in our classes. We think about them occasionally. We're not fervent for the things of God. We're not fervent and passionate about the things that matter and that are eternal. And and we need to give a witness to this world that we are more fervent about the eternal than they are about the temporary. I'm not talking about acting weird. I'm talking about what drives you, what motivates you, what puts passion inside of your life, what makes you want to get up and get going in the morning, what makes you want to present yourself as a living sacrifice to God. You see, this world does not need more religion. Doesn't need any more religion. We got enough religion in the world. The world doesn't want more religion. What the world needs and what the world wants is a relationship that matters. They're looking for relationship. And if we are not fervent about our relationship with God, then we will never convince them that it's a relationship worth pursuing. So there must be fervency. The church is missing God's best because we fail to be praying people. So what are the barriers to fervent praying? Let me just give you seven. I could give you a lot more. Let me just give you seven quickly. Number one, a lack of faith. A lack of faith. We just don't really believe God will do what he says he will do. Number two, fleshly thinking. We don't pray fervently because we think we can help God out or we think we can figure it out on our own. And God, if we need you, we'll call you. Number three, busyness. We just get too busy. I mean, we're always busy. There's always something to do, always someplace to go, somebody to see. Number four, a lack of praise. Praise and prayer go together. Now, if you weren't here uh, Sunday night, we we had a service Sunday night that has got to be in the top three of the services that I've been a part of in 27 years. That's what happens when you miss Sunday night. You miss one of the top three in the last. Seth put it in his top five, but that's because he's young, and I've got more, and so mine went down to the top three. There was praise, a lack of praise. Listen, we aren't fervent in prayer, and we aren't fervent in praise, and here's why. Because we listen to the voice of the devil who says, you've got a bad voice, don't sing. So when you don't sing, you are letting hell praise you for your lack of singing. Heaven's not. Hell is. When you don't pray, hell is applauding that because you're not seeking the God who can move into your situation and do what you can't do. So while heaven is longing for us to pray, for us to be fervent in prayer and in praise, when we don't do that, then hell applauds our inconsistency. Have you thought about the fact that maybe this week in prayerlessness or in lack of praise that the devil has put you up as an example of somebody that is half-hearted, 
to a lost person. Might ought to stir us up a little bit. Number five, indifference to God's truth. I know what God says, but this is what I think. Number six, a lack of consistency. Number seven, eyes on yourself and not on the Savior. Now, while those are up, listen to this quote from Jack Taylor. The devil doesn't know what to do with someone who is set to believe the Word of God. The more you come to know and apply the Word of God, the more your spirit will be enlarged. And the greater the battle, the greater the victory. Thirdly, the dynamic of fervent praying. It's not how long, it's the depth. It's getting down to business with God. Now, there are two thoughts that I want to give you here. Intensity is the law of prayer. Intensity is the law of prayer. This is not a casual conversation in line waiting to get checked out. This is a conversation with your heavenly Father who sits on the throne of heaven, who rules this earth, who rules the hearts of men. This is an intense conversation with your Father in asking. Secondly, fervent prayer gets what casual prayer can never get. Fervent prayer gets what casual prayer can never get. Now we're at Matthew 17. Mount of Transfiguration, Peter, James, and John have gone up to the mountain. They've seen Moses and Elijah. They say, hey, let's, let's build a couple little uh, tiny homes here and, you know, we can get one. It's got a little loft in it. We'll, you know, we'll just sit here and worship all the rest of the day. God didn't make us to live on mountains. He made us to live in valleys. But by the way, if you don't learn something on the mountain, you're not ready for the valley. If you haven't learned something in the mountain, you're not going to learn it when you get in the valley. Verse 16 of Matthew 17. I brought him. Remember, this is a man. He's got a demon-possessed son, and the disciples have absolutely blown it. They've blown it. I brought him, brought him to your disciples, and they could not cure him. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not drive it out? And he said to them, Because of the littleness of your faith. Verse 20. For truly I say to you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed. Now just stop right there. Anybody know how big a mustard seed is? It's like nothing. And he said, your faith is smaller than the size of a mustard seed. You can't even get mustard seed faith. He said, because you couldn't do it because of the littleness of your faith, but if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. And nothing will be impossible to you, but this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. Now, here's what liberal theologians will do. Liberal theologians will say, in some translations, that last verse, verse 21, is in parentheses, which means it wasn't in the original text. I don't know if it was in the original text, but I tell you the context of what Jesus just told them, it fits. There are some things that are not going to happen in your life except by prayer and fasting. I got a text message from a friend last night, and he said, give me the three things that you need me to pray for in your life, and I'm going to pray and fast over them. And you know what? He'll do it. He prays about four hours a day, and he'll do it. And it'll make a difference in my life to know 
that he's doing it. And it will spur me on to know that he's doing it. So here's Jesus, Matthew 17, we're in your notes. The disciples failed, failed and Jesus gave them the reasons for their failure and I think for our failure to be fervent in prayer. First of all, their lack of faith. Their lack of faith. They just didn't have faith to believe that God could do it. Secondly, their lack of prayer. This kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. And then their lack of discipline. You see, faith and prayer are both acts of discipline. We, we learn to believe God by believing God. We learn to faith God by having faith in God, by trusting him. Little steps, then bigger steps. Prayer is a discipline. Faith is a discipline. R.A. Torrey said, if we put so little heart into our prayers, we cannot expect God to put much heart into answering them. How much heart are you putting into your prayer? So let's look at the principles. They're very simple. Number one, fervent praying is an outgrowth of intimacy with God. It's an outgrowth of intimacy with God. We become fervent in our praying the more intimate we become in our relationship with God. Secondly, it's birthed in a burden. A burden will create a fervency that nothing else will do. Have you asked God to give you a burden? Thirdly, it is stirred up by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will breathe on that spark that's in your heart. And he will ignite it for you to pray at a higher level than you have prayed before. Number four, it brings a new vision, passion, and commitment to the things of God. It brings a new vision, a new passion, and a new commitment to the things of God. This church is at its best when the prayer fires are up. We are at our best when our praying is up. Number five, it strengthens your faith to pray bigger prayers. To pray bigger prayers. Some of us have not gotten to the point where we're willing to ask God for bigger things because we don't even believe he'll answer the little things. But when you have fervency in your prayer, it will strengthen your faith to pray bigger prayers. Number six, it's an expression of humility. It's an expression of humility. Fervency is, God, I'm coming before you because I can't do it. I can't fix it. I can't change it. You've got to do it. And number seven, it is an outpouring of desperation. An outpouring of desperation. Ian Bounds said, It is not in our power, perhaps, to create fervency of spirit at will, but we can pray God to implant it. It is ours then to nourish and cherish it to guard it against extinction, to prevent its abatement or decline. Now, James chapter 5, there's an interesting guy there, Elijah. I love Elijah. James chapter 5, he tells us about Elijah. He was a man with a nature like ours. In other words, Elijah wasn't this superhero. He, he wouldn't make an Avengers movie. 
He's just a guy. Elijah is just a guy. He's a man just like us. He's got frailties. He's got faults. He's got things that he deals with. We know he dealt with depression at one point. Here's a man just like us, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. Then he prayed again, and the sky poured rain, and the earth produced fruit. When it says he prayed earnestly, it, what that means in the Greek is he prayed in his prayer. He got down to business with God. Now here's a guy who goes out and prays. He's just like us. Let's just say, you know, okay, whoever's in row 12, seat 8, okay, you're the guy. Stand up. You're the guy, and you're going to pray, and it's not going to rain for three and a half years. Huh? What? what? You. You. We're going to teach Israel a lesson. You. You start praying. It's not going to rain for three and a half years. Then after three and a half years, God speaks to him. Remember, prayer and the word and faith are all tied together. And he goes and he starts praying. He looks for a cloud the size of a man's hand. And when he sees that, he doesn't say, well, according to Channel 10, there's a possibility of rain this week. He starts running because he knows that a flood is coming. He takes off running. He was a man just like us. You see, prayer is not getting my will done in heaven. It's getting God's will done on earth. And Elijah was praying for the will of God so that the people of God and the nation would understand that there was a God in heaven and he was not impressed with anything other than his own glory. So Elijah was persistent in his praying. See, passionate, persistent brings power to prayer. Persistence and prayer go together. Power and persistence go together. Passion and persistence go together. He prayed. He prayed specifically. Gary Miller uh, made me aware of this. He'll be with us next week. And Gary Miller made me aware of this. There's a, there's a marker up in Dayton, Ohio, uh, that marks a great flood, the flood of 1913. On March 25th, 1913, the Dayton flood crested. It is at the point of that marker, which is on a high hill in Dayton, where five rivers came together, flooded, and that point is the high water mark of that flood. That was March 25th. On May 25th, just two months later, after the flood, this is all on that marker. You can read it. This marker was placed on the spot to indicate the high water level at the crest. 30,000 citizens of Miami Valley gathered to celebrate that they had raised $2 million for flood prevention funds. This is the marker. Five dams were built. Without the aid of government funds, this is after a major disaster, five dams were built. Without the aid of government funds, rich and poor alike gave what they could, 
cooperating in the lasting civic endeavor that has ensured freedom from floods since 1913. This plaque was put up in 1987. $2 million in 1913. You want to figure that out in today's dollars? From 30,000 people who two, in two months had raised $2 million. Why? Because they were fervently committed that they were not going to be the victims of another flood like that. This is what the plaque reads at the top. Remember the promises you made in the attic. When they were scurrying to get away from the floodwaters and went to their attics to keep from drowning, the plaque says, remember the promises you made in the attic. It's a statement of fervency. I want to ask you a question. Do you remember the promises you made in the emergency room? Do you remember the promises you made when you went off to war? Do you remember the promises you made when you sent a child to war? Do you remember the promises you made when the flood hit Albany, the 500-year flood hit Albany? Better question. Do you remember the promises you made in January when storms hit Albany? You make any promises to God about what you would do if you survived that storm? Where's your marker? Where's your marker? Are you going to remember the promises you made in the closet or in the bathroom or your safe room, wherever you were when that storm was coming through? Are you going to remember those promises? Or have you already started going back to normal and going downhill and say, God got me through that one. I don't have to worry about him until the next crisis that hits my life. Fervency is not just for crisis. It is a lifestyle. Remember the promises you made in the attic. Would you stand with me with heads bowed and eyes closed? The invitation this morning is very simple. If you need this morning to renew your prayer life and to increase your fervency, then I'm just going to ask you to step out from where you are and find your way to this altar. You need to renew your prayer life. You need to increase your urgency and your fervency of prayer. And you're coming before God today to just say, Lord, I want to be fervent in my praying. I don't want to be half-hearted. I don't want to be casual. I don't want to be flippant about it. I don't want to just wait until crisis time to be fervent about my praying. But today, I want to say to you, I, I, I want you to find in me a prayer warrior. I want you to find in me someone who is fervent about praying, who is fervent about praying for the lost, for the unchurched, fervent about praying for our community, for revival, fervent about the things of God that you want to do in this place. Lord, Lord, I want you to find me on the front lines. I want you to find me with a hot heart. 
I want you to find me with passion and zeal for you in the way I pray, in the consistency of my praying. We're not talking about the length of your praying. We're talking about the depth of your praying, that you're going deeper with the Lord in your walk with him, in your prayers before him, in your crying out to him, that you're getting God honest and desperate, that you're understanding the urgency in which you live. Anybody else need to step out and come? Father, we have prayed for revival in our church and in our community and in our region. We have prayed for a move of your spirit across this land. And you keep putting us in positions where we have to acknowledge that we can't, but you can. You keep reminding us that our fleshly efforts are of no help to you. But God, when we look at the disciples and see their inability to deal with the son that was demon-possessed, we also look in our own hearts and see our inability to give the right answers to people when they ask the questions. God, take away from us excuses that allow us to ignore a lack of faith and a lack of prayer and a lack of discipline. Plant in us an urgency and a fervency. Make us, men and women and young people of like passions as Elijah, make us people that know how to call down fire from heaven and rains of refreshing. God, that we would grab hold of the throne of grace, that we would learn to boldly approach the throne of grace and without apology and without hesitation, take your word before you and remind you of your promises and remind you of your truth and claim in the name of Jesus, the prodigals, the lost, the backslidden, the wayward spouse, to claim in the name of Jesus a community that desperately needs a touch of the Holy Spirit on it. To claim in the name of Jesus power in the pulpit and in the pews that cannot be denied or ignored by a lost world that has become cynical and dead to religion but just needs Jesus. Lord, give us the fervency of the early church that went to anyone, anywhere, and everywhere to say that Jesus is the answer. Give us a passion for others like we've not had. Take our praying to a deeper level, not only individually but corporately. Lord, I pray for these at the altar that they would be the beginning of a new depth of movement in prayer, in the life of our church. Lord, that we would not just come check the box, but that we would come expecting that every time we come, somebody is going to be saved. Some life is going to be changed. 
Some family is going to be put together. Some prodigal is going to come home. Lord, you, you said you that we have not because we ask not because we wasted on asking just for ourselves. Lord, we're not asking for ourselves. We're asking for you to get in the middle of our business and change the culture of this church to passionate praying. Lord, hear our cries. We pour out our hearts to you. We cry out, we call out to you today. For you are the only one who can fix the mess that we are in in our land. For we pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen.